from the Edinburgh School Broadly and Will Kubzanski's Kitchen. This is Pushing the A, Period Review, chapters 27 through 30, going all the way from the Spanish-American War to World War I. It's a war book-ended period. Music, in case you're wondering, Nick Thornburn's Bad Dream from the famous NPR podcast Serial from WBEZ Chicago. Worth a listen if you didn't hear it when it initially came out in 2014. So, should we get to it? Let's get down to it. This is the 30-minute condensed version of the semi-period. I'm going to set a timer for 30 minutes, and I have this fat stack of cards that maybe you can hear if I go. That's that's the cards that I'm going to go through, and I'm going to try and get through them in 30 minutes. If I do, it's a first. If I don't, then we just make the timer longer and longer until we finally reach a moment that I'm able to come under a certain time. All right, should we go for it? Let's go for it. Starting the timer now. So the Spanish are misgoverning Cuba heavily. Cuba decides to rise up with economic concerns from the tariff of 1894 that crippled the sugar market. Uh, the United States comes in. They get the Spanish out with these scorched earth tactics via fire and fury from the insurrectors. Um, because the Americans have a 50 million stake in the Cuban economy and 100 million dollars in trade. Also, questions of controlling Cuba, meaning controlling the Gulf of Mexico and the Panama Canal. Um, the Spanish general butcher Whaler uh, puts Cubans into concentration camps. A lot of them die. Yellow journalism covers it, fabricates the news, but some bad stuff still happening. Hearst, owner of the San Francisco Chronicle, um, publishes a minister to the United States from the Spanish. Um, that's Anthony McKinley. The United States sends a ship to Cuba, the main. Uh, 200 plus die when it explodes. The Spanish are blamed incorrectly. The Spanish say, you know what? We'll have an armistice. Um, we'll close the concentration camps. The uh, United States does not want Cuba to be independent. Um, so Teddy Roosevelt says, go and get the island. McKinley is wondering if the Spanish are going to keep the promise or if the Democrats will use it against him in the next election. So he sends a war message to Congress saying we must free the oppressed Cubans um, and declares the war by the Teller Amendment, not by the Teller Amendment, but including the Teller Amendment, which is essentially freeing Cuba and keeping it free. While the U.S. is at war with the Spanish, Teddy Roosevelt, the Assistant Secretary to the Navy, commands Dewey, who is a U.S. commander in Hong Kong, to go to the Philippines, owned by the Spanish. Um, McKinley didn't order this, um, but agrees with it. Dewey takes six warships into Manila and destroys the entire Spanish fleet. 400 Spanish die, not a single American dies, but they don't have enough troops to make a ground invasion, plus the Germans are coming any minute to back up the Spanish, so the United States is sort of waiting it out. Uh, reinforcements come, and with Filipino help, they win. Um, also a question of Hawaii. Um, they need it as a station. They previously said we won't annex it, but in 1898, they decide to go for it because they're concerned about the Japanese potentially taking it while they are concerned with the Philippines. Um, it is annexed in 1898 with full rights to the citizens. Um, there's also this question of what in the world they're going to do with the Philippines. Uh, meanwhile, back across the world in Cuba, the Spanish is sending poorly trained reinforcements, uh, but the eastern United States, closer to war than it's been in a long time, is it, very panicked. The United States blockades Cuba and the Spanish at the Santiago Harbor, send an overdressed army from the rear to drive the Spanish out. 
Um, Teddy Roosevelt leads the Rough Riders, which are basically overdressed cowboys, into combat. And in June, 17,000 Americans from Tampa head to Cuba. The fight begins on July 1st. El Cane, Kettle Hill are some big battles you should know. Um, it says... The Rough Riders take big losses. The Spanish fleet is ambushed on July 3rd. The United States quickly grows and grabs Puerto Rico, uh, who they later rule do not have full constitutional rights under the insular cases. They get it. August 12th, there's an armistice. If the Spanish had waited, they probably could have won the war via the crippling effects of disease because that killed 5,000. So, 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 the year is 1900. McKinley is renominated for the Republicans. The New York bosses are sick of Teddy Roosevelt, and they put him in the vice presidential slot. The Democrats nominate William Jennings Bryan for the second time, who's anti-imperialist, says that we're enslaving the Filipinos. Teddy Roosevelt goes on the tour dressed in a cowboy costume and tries to convince people to vote for McKinley, who wins by 1 million votes and 140 electoral votes. Uh, there's no mandate by imperialism, really just stuff about money and protectionism. Uh, so... On September 1st of 1901, McKinley is assassinated, and Teddy Roosevelt takes the age, takes the oath, age 42, which is the youngest ever at the time. Uh, he was bellicose, pro-preparedness, um, speaks softly, carry a big stick, etc. Checks and balances were not his main concern. Basically, if the Constitution did not expressly prohibit something, he was happy to do it. Um, he had a huge following and a rather large ego. In... Post the Spanish War, uh, there are some questions about a Central American Canal because United States ships that are on the Pacific take weeks to get to Cuba, plus um, questions regarding mobility and strength and Pacific defense to the United States. Um, there are some legal obstacles before building a canal. For instance, the United States cannot own a canal in Central America per the Clayton-Butler Treaty. They work it out with the British in 1901 via the Hay-Ponsfeld Treaty, Hay Treaty, something like that. Basically saying the United States can build and own a canal. Uh, the French Canal Company pushes Panama as the place to do it. Uh, Congress says, okay, let's go for it in 1902. Colombia owns the land. They reject a $10 million, 250000 a year um, offer for about a six-mile area. Panamanians, though, want the money that would come from the canal, and they revolt. Um, the rebellion starts in November 1903. The United States Navy keeps the Colombians away from suppressing it. Teddy Roosevelt quickly recognized the new government, um, and at the hay buno Varilla Treaty, they get the canal started. Uh, U.S.-Latin American relations are down, but on the right side, they have a safe and sterile canal come 1914, and it only took 10 years and $400 million, um, less than what Bryce Harper will be paid next year. Um, Teddy Roosevelt was a progressive, which really came from labor and greenbacks, um, that was the root of the movement. The populists of 1890s sort of hand off their ideas, the hands-off approach of the government and laissez-faire approach of the economic strategy is broken. The government has to get involved. Also, there are a lot of new Americans. There's 76 million in 1989, a million by 1914. Um, before politics, Politicians and writers um, had been attacking the trusts, so Standard Oil and this new class of the rich. Um, so with books like Wealth Against the Commonwealth, the theory of the leisure class, there's this idea that business is wasteful and industry is as well, um, and that people on the bottom should have social leadership instead of on the top. Um, Reese writes for the New York Sun, writes a book called How the Other Half Lives about people in the slums. Dreiser writes The Financier, uh, The Titan. Um, some people preach the social gospel, which is basically a combination of progressive ideals via Christian um, rationale. 
Um, all of this leads to better housing for the poor, um, more economists in academia, an improved city familial life, um, which is a big work for feminists and women. Um, can't read what this says. Uh, the, show up start show the socialists start showing up at elections, which is interesting. Um, progressivism in the city and states. City folks are especially angry about machines, political machines. Uh, they're dirty, they're prostitutes, juvenile delinquents, and slumlords, and there's this question of maybe we should make the public utilities public, or the utilities public. We now think of them as public utilities. Um, Galveston, Texas is the first example of a city that does a um, commission to manage urban affairs. Other cities employ city managers. Um, not very democratic, but efficient, and it gets politics out of the administration. Wisconsin is leading the charge on this big time. Rob LaFollette is the governor uh, as of 1901. He's very progressive, uh, takes control from corporations and gives it to the people, makes the utilities public, establishes the University of Wisconsin. In California and Oregon, the utilities are public, um, and there are public utility commissions to regulate railroads. Hiram Johnson breaks up the Southern Pacific Railroad Company. Uh, who He's the governor of California. New York has a similar status with Charles E. Hughes' future. Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Um, women also are a big part of this progressive movement. Um, they go into these places called settlement houses that show them what public life is like and the corruption of the city and the conditions of people. Um, showing them um, the corruptions and the conditions of those poorer and, and lesser conditions that they are. Um, giving women the skills to fight back against these issues. Women's clubs go from being literature clubs to clubs that are talking about current events um, instead of literature. Um, and so moral issues such as child labor and food um, and pensions for mothers in the workplace become seen, start become seen, start being seen as an extension of the home. Women lobby begin, women begin lobbying with the National Consumers League and the Women's Trade Union League, uh, the Federal Bureau of Children and Women, two separate things in the Department of Labor, factories, um, and alcohol get a lot of attention. Flores Kelly, um, becomes Illinois' first chief factory inspector and takes over the National Consumers League, um, which safeguards the vulnerable in the workplace. More effects of these women. Um, in Muller versus Oregon in 1908, Brandeis, soon to be on the court, convinces the Supreme Court that women workers deserve to be protected from stuff in the factories, which is sexist now, but was a revelation then. Um, and that's how this, this is how the welfare state was built, on the backs of women and children. Lochner versus New York is a setback for progressives overall, invalidating the 10-hour workday for bakers. Um, reformers in the judiciary eventually um, come in and allow it to happen. There's these questions of enforcement, though, of how do we make sure that people are getting their 10-hour workday? How do we make sure women are being protected from stuff? Um, in 1910-11-ish, the Triangle Fire occurs, um, and there is a mass women's protest. New York adds a lot more regulations, including workers' comp, which really is sort of this idea, the beginning of this idea that the employer is responsible to its workers and therefore society. Um, other things that are happening are saloons and alcohol are into prostitution and crime. In 1900, San Francisco and New York have a saloon for every about 200 people. Um, so the Women's Christians Temperance Union 
uh, and anti-saloon leagues pop up, and they head to cities and counties and states, and eventually those cities, counties, and states become dry. The big urban centers are the last holdouts, but the 18th Amendment eliminates alcohol. This next card says deal in a box surrounded by four right angles, which, as someone pointed out, could be the rectangular deal. However, um, I'm going to put little lines on the sides that show they're all equal. Therefore, it is a square deal, which is not a rhombus deal, because then the angles could be right angles. Okay. All right. Roosevelt is this president who's very much pro-public interest, um, takes up reform in his square deal, um, where he tries to control corporations, give consumers protection. Um, a little bit... I have to pause. Gray Eisler is interrupting me for a quick FaceTime. You happy, Gray? Where were we before we were so rudely interrupted by the obese himself? Oh, good. The timer's been running. Okay. Um, let's see. Um, a little bit of conscription is in there. About 140,000 exploited workers in a Pennsylvania coal mine uh, go on strike and demand better hours and better pay. Uh, the owners refuse to provide either, so coal production goes down. Infrastructure gets shut down because you can't make things without energy. Um, representatives from both sides are sent to the White House, and the operators of the mine anger Roosevelt, and who threatens to seize the mines and operate them with federal troops. Um, so the company offers them offers the workers a 10% raise and union recognition and uh, a nine-hour workday. So things do get a little better. But Roosevelt says to Congress, we need departments to deal with these things, such as labor and commerce. Uh, in 1903, both of those are established, as well as the Bureau of Corporations, uh, which is mainly for trespassing. So with all those new tools at his disposal, um, Teddy Roosevelt goes about um, trespassing. So the ICC which is the Interstate Commerce Commission, um, is really bad. Railroads can just appeal over its head to the courts, so Congress passes real legislation with the Al Hiccup, Elkins and Hepburn Acts. Um, Elkins Act ends rebates and puts fines on it. Uh, the Hepburn Act of 1906 says there are no free passes, gives the ICC teeth, um, includes more types of companies in its jurisdiction, and it sets the maximum rate um, for which um, people can charge for railroad tickets. Uh, Roosevelt then goes trust busting. So he said he's not sort of indiscriminately busting. He thinks there are good trusts. He thinks there are bad trusts. Um, good trusts and bad trusts. Um, and so he goes after the Northern Security Companies in 1902, which is J.P. Morgan trying to get a railroad monopoly in the Northwest. Uh, the Supreme Court signs with, it's great again, in case you're wondering who's ruining your, if you if you fail your A-push test, hashtag blame gray. Um, he goes after the Northern Securities Company in 1902, which is J.P. Morgan, wanting a Northwestern Railroad monopoly. Uh, the Supreme Court sides with Teddy Roosevelt, dissolves the company. Wall Street is very much shook it. About 40 monopolies are dissolved under Roosevelt, including in 1905, the Supreme Court says that the Beef Trust is illegal, as well as the Sugar Trust and other sorts of trusts. Um, this sort of inflates Teddy Roosevelt's reputation. Um, it was more of a symbolic fight. He was more on the side of regulating, not destroying. Um, he could have done a lot more. He makes the trust tamer, but they are better off because they are tamer um, and they can continue to exist. Um, he even actually gives the blessing for U.S. Steel to monopolize. Oh boy, we have a long way to go before...
I don't think we're going to make the 15-minute mark. Yeah. Um, consumer care. Let's keep going. 1906, Teddy Roosevelt um, backs the idea of food safety because U.S. meat exports are tainted and their canned products are horrible, so people stop eating meat. He appoints a commission that finds rats and splinters in meat and canned food. The Meat Inspection Act of 1906 corrals this uh, with interstate meat, and the Pure Food and Drug Act ends mislabeling. Birth control, not birth control, although that is soon... Um, Americans think that their resources are infinite. In the late 1800s, they loot and pollute and destroy. Eventually, effects start showing. The Desert Land Act of 1777 is the first feeble attempt to irrigate the desert. The Forest Reserve Act of 19, or 1891 allows forests and parks to be preserved. About 46 million acres of that are preserved. The Cary Act of 1894 um, allows states to buy federal or to be given federal land for the purpose of irrigation. Teddy Roosevelt then instills the New Lands Act of 1902, which is uh, taking the money from public land sales in the West for irrigation projects and the money for that, the money from that rather, um, is used for a lot of dams and a lot of other things. Um, The save the forest sentiment is really big at the time. So in 1900, only a quarter of the timber that was initially in the United States remains. Almost everything from Maine to Michigan is gone. 125 million acres of forest and some coal and some water are set aside by Roosevelt. Roosevelt says, you know what, just an example, we're going to have Christmas trees in the White House, which is good because Christmas is the worst holiday. Um, Teddy Roosevelt is conserving, and that is his lasting legacy. And in the national mood, um, which is very concerned about the frontier dying off, uh, supports him. Um, and people are like, there are too many cities. So books like The Call of the Wild and organizations like the Sierra Club and the Bird Societies and Boy Scouts all pop up. Um, and then San Francisco builds a dam at the Hetch Hetchy Valley in Yosemite National Park, and the country finds out that Teddy Roosevelt wants to use this land, not just preserve it. He thinks there's a difference, and the former is a better idea. Um, so he wants things to be multi-use, so sustained logging and recreation and cattle grazing. Um, the Forest Service Bureau and the Bureau of Reclamation are both established, and people are initially pissed off about this, but then they realize that they can work with those bureaus to make the most of the land to use it for their own personal gain. Um, Roosevelt limits himself by saying no third term. He will not run for a third term, and he gets William Howard Taft as his successor, pushes him through the nomination process. Democrats nominate Williams Jennings Bryan's, who Williams Jennings Bryan, who just complains. Um, it's a competition that would be more progressive. Taft wins it three twenty one to one sixty two. Socialists get about uh, four hundred twenty thousand votes for Eugene Debs. Nice. Um, Taft wins by about one point two million popular votes. Uh, Roosevelt goes to Africa. His critics are like, haha, he's gonna die in a lion hunt, and then he survives, much to their dismay. Um, Roosevelt was not the antitrust buster he was made out to be. Uh, he was a bigger friend of business and capitalism. He was basically a six-year-old in a fifty-year-old man's clothes. Uh, he wanted a middle ground protecting capitalists and the land, but he enlarged the power of the White House, uh, turned publicity into something that can be used for politics, shapes the progressives, um, and basically says the United States shares the world, and because they're the most powerful, it is their job to um, run it correctly. So Taft, splitting the elephant, Taft attacks about 90 trusts in four years, which is very impressive. Uh, Roosevelt only attacked 44 at about seven and a half. Um, in 1911, the Supreme Court dissolved Standard Oil on the Sherman Antitrust Act, which is good, but it also limits the trusts that can be busted. Um, Taft goes for U.S. Steel, much to the dismay of TR. Uh, progressive Republicans want a lower tariff from Taft. Uh, Congress and Taft don't get it done with the Payne-Aldrich bill.
Um, which is made even worse when Congress and or when Taft says, hey, this is the bill you wanted, right? Um, Taft is a con- conservationist, but his Secretary of Interior, Ballinger, opens up lands in Wyoming to corporate development. Um, in the midterms, the Democrats take the House with 228 uh, Democrats, and Wisconsin even elects a socialist. Um, the Republicans and Pinchett, who is a Teddy Roosevelt leftover that's pro-force, protests, all of this. Taft blows both and all of it off. Uh, reformists are ready to fight Taft, who is moving rapidly towards the old guard state of mind. In 1910, Teddy Roosevelt returns to New York, gives a speech in Kansas about uh, the new nationalism, which is how the government must use its newfound power to fix American problems. The Republicans are divided. They lose big midterms, as I said. Um, the Republicans are generally pissed at Taft. So in 1911, the National Progressive Republican League is formed. La Follette from Wisconsin is at the front of it. Teddy Roosevelt says, hey, I want in, actually. Um, and he is like, you know what? I said no consecutive third term. I didn't say no um, third term period. So he goes and gets himself nominated from that part of the party on a loophole. La Follette's pushed aside and it's Taft versus TR at the RNC in Chicago. TR asks for the delegates of Taft to be unseated. Taft supporters hold their ground, and Taft gets the nomination. Um, Roosevelt, instead of licking his wounds and going to support Taft, um, goes off and makes his own party, the Bull Moose Party. Um, Jane Adams nominates him on the New Nationalism, which we talked about earlier. The Republicans split down the middle, uh, Taft on the other side, and the Democrats nominate Woodrow Wilson, who is a New Jersey politician from the South that made the state a pretty liberal state, wants to give corporations, or wants to take away power from the corporations to bring it back to the people on the new freedom program. Um, They are both very similar in terms of they want an active government, the question is where the government should be active. So Roosevelt wants the trust to be consolidated in women's suffrage and a minimum wage and health care. Wilson wants sort of the government to step in to make conditions more favorable for small business and entrepreneurship. And he wants to unmonopolize the markets completely and then unregulate um, the markets completely. The Democrats are very happy about competition, very anti-welfare. Um, don't want trust, just want to let people run their own business and let it run. So the election is a real philosophical choice. Wilson finishes with 435 electoral votes and 2 million popular votes, more than the nearest finisher. Teddy Roosevelt comes in second. Uh, Taft comes in last, or third, rather. Um, goes on to Yale in the Supreme Court. And the Socialists gets 1 million, frankly, far worse than their total of 420,000. Um, Wilson is elected second Democrat since 1861. Southern men that admire the Confederacy... Um, believes in a self-determining informed masses and is a pious man. P.S. Pious don't know. Um, he sets this idea that presidents must lead Congress and he spends a lot of time appealing over the heads of legislators to appeal to people. His personality is not as strong as T.R. or even Taft. He's not exciting. He's an academic. He's not a common man. Um, he does have these three things he wants to tackle. He's in office, the triple wall of privilege, the banks, the tariffs, and the trusts. So in 1913, beginning of the term, he delivered a direct message to Congress uh, talking about lowering a tariff. The Underwood Tariff Bill is passed. The rates go down. Um, lobbyists come and do what lobbyists do, which is try and change the rates for specific things. Wilson says to Americans, you need to hold your representatives accountable, and he gets the bill he wants that lowers import fees greatly and the tariff is down overall. Um, Fights for the 16th Amendment, which installs the first graduate income tax. 
um, on people with an income of $3,000 or more, which brings in a whole lot more money than the tariff ever did or ever would. Okay, moving on to the banks, he goes to Congress to talk to them about how the country has outgrown its previous system from the Civil War, which was the National Banking Act. Um, they need uh, currency to be unconcentrated and movable in times of crisis. The Congressman Arsene Pujo says that the banks are hiding things. Uh, an attorney from Massachusetts, Brandeis, we hear about him a lot, um, writes a book called Other People's Money. In June 1913, he makes this message to Congress about all that sort of stuff. Um, he wants a decentralized bank and then giving it to the, and wants to give it to the government. Um, the Republicans just want a huge private bank. In 1913, um, he gets his wish with the Federal Reserve Act, which is 12 districts, uh, 12 regular districts of banks, including one larger overseeing one, overseen by a board. Um, and they have authorization to issue paper money if they need to do so. Um, there's also, uh, right, it also has its own central bank. So yes, so the third thing he wants to do is trust. You'll never believe how he goes about it. He goes and makes another speech to Congress. It's very exciting. Federal Trade Commission Act of 1914, uh, he appoints a commission to look at interstate uh, commerce, uh, to crush monopoly, to end unfairness in business, which then uh, begets the Clayton Antitrust Act, which ends interlocking directorates, price discrimination, holding companies, labor is exempted from prosecution uh, in this deal, uh, strikes are made illegal, the judge, as the judicial system disagrees. Um, here's some other things Wilson did. To get farmer credit on low interest loans, he makes the Federal Farm Loan Act in 1916. Uh, to give farmers loans on stable crops, he makes the Warehouse Act of 1916. The La Follette Seaman's Act um, gives better wages and treatment for sailors. The Working Men's Comp Act of 1916, uh, civil service employees get disability benefits, um, and there will be no more child labor on interstate commerce. Adamson Act, eight-hour days on interstate trains. Brandeis is nominated to the court, first Jewish man at the court. Wilson is still a racist. Um, but he passes other laws regarding highways and putting agricultural curriculum in curricula, curriculums into colleges. Um, shifting it back to an international focus, Mexico has been exploited for its oil and railroads and mines, and the U.S. has a billion-dollar stake investment, but the people are not getting any of it. So a revolution um, occurs. Uh, the president that everyone liked is killed. Victoriano Huerta replaces him. Um, and the American ambassador to Mexico supports him. Um, about a million plus Mexicans head to the U.S. Uh, around this time, so they go to Texas and New Mexico and Arizona and California, um, and leading to this weird border culture. Um, however, Americans and property are being hurt in this fight. So some calls from like from Hearst, um, who owns the San Francisco Chronicle, um, wants his ranch to be saved. Um, Taft says, you know what, no, that's fine, we're going to stay out, just make sure that they elect good men. Um, but then um, he fires the ambassador. Uh, boy. He refuses to recognize the new government. Um, two Americans are arrested. Uh, they're immediately freed, almost immediately freed, but they don't get the 21 salute when they leave. Uh, in Tampico, this is the Tampico incident, and so Wilson goes and makes a rational and proportional response of seizing the city of Veracruz. Um, Argentina, Brazil, and Chile offer to mediate the problem um, until 
uh, Huerta dies of stress, and his rival Corranza takes over. Pancho Villa, the rival of Corranza, goes out uh, and kills 16 Americans in Mexico and 19 Americans in New Mexico. He wants a war to sprout, sprout splash, something. Uh, Pershing breaks up the band. His band doesn't get him. Germany is trying to help Huerta. Um, Villa remains uncaptured, and the U.S. is just sort of like, you know what, we're just going to get out of here before things get worse. Meanwhile, in the great European continent, um, a Serb kills the heir to the Austrian-Hungarian throne, um, which leads to World War I, which is the Serbs, the Brits, the Russians, and the Franks versus the Germans, the Australian, the Austrian-Hungarians, the Turkish, and the Bulgarians, the Allies versus the Central Powers. In other words, America is neutral, and they are happy about it, and they're out. Both sides are trying to get the U.S. on their side. Uh, the British is very similar culturally. Um, they control the cable, so they censure any anti-ally stories, but the Germans have all these immigrants in the United States that have stayed loyal. There are about 11 million people, and a lot of them are pro-central, or not a lot of them, but a fair amount of pro-central powers. Um, Anti-German sentiment goes up, uh, but the Kaiser is an autocrat, and there are these questions of, are these people going to try and carry out violence on American shores? Uh, are German agents trying to kill you? Um... And the British block trade, block Americans from trading with Germany. Three minutes left, no chance in hell we get this done. It was an honorable, honorable try, everyone. It really was. Um, it just doesn't happen ever. Um, blood money. Uh, there's a small recession uh, that ends with orders from the British and the French uh, to buy weapons. J.B. Morgan lends the Allies $2.3 billion. Uh, U.S. vessels trying to go across the sea are being forced into British ports. Um, and so the Germans to try and stop this and allow everyone to trade with them, um, start a submarine war, uh, in the British Isles. So Wilson claims neutrality and neutral trade rights and just hopes for the best. The east of the United States is very much concerned, um, with this development because they do not like the idea of submarines right next to them. Um... The United States on the East Coast is ready to fight. The rest of it, especially the Midwest, is not. Um, German United States trade dies. Uh, economic trade begets diplomatic or economic problems beget diplomatic problems. Diplomatic problems beget military problems. Um, also, war laws are very outdated regarding submarines. No one knows how to deal with them. Uh, the Germans say, you know what, we're not going to sink anything neutral, at least on purpose. The United States hopes for the best. The U-boats began sinking in 1915. They sink 90 ships, including the Lusitania, which kills 128 Americans. It was carrying ammo. Americans still don't think it was justified. Um, Wilson sends Germany a stern letter. Uh, the Secretary of State thinks it's too insane and quits. Teddy Roosevelt can't believe he's not doing anything. Um... The British ship, the Arabic, sinks. Two Americans are on board of that. So the, Amer the Germans say, you know, okay, fine. We'll, we'll stop sinking your boats without warning, at least. Uh, and then they go and break that with the French boat Sussex by sinking that. Wilson says, renounce this tactic or we will no longer have diplomatic relations, which is the next step to going to war. Germany says, okay, but you have to tell your allies to change the blockade, um, preventing us from doing trade. Wilson sort of ignores the idea, meaning that Germany can pull the string on a war whenever they want. Um, in the meantime, there's just all of this, uh, election stuff going on. So Teddy Roosevelt is nominated by the Bull Moose Party. He refuses. He wants Republicans to be held up. And they nominate C.E. Hughes, Charles E. Hughes, um, New York liberal at this point on the Supreme Court on a campaign of trust and tariff in Mexico. Uh, Woodrow Wilson knows he's a fluke, so he goes very progressive to win, um, again, um, and so, you know, the slogans are, he kept us out of war, um, 
Charles Lee Hughes wins the East, looks like he won, and then the West and the Midwest, who are less interested in work, come in, and California clinches it for Wilson, 277 to 264, by about 600,000 votes. The less than voters really don't want to go to war. Bad news for them. On January 22nd, 1917, Wilson says, we need to have peace without victory and neutral rights at the end of all of this. Um, Wilson uh, says, um, you know what? No more diplomatic relations after the Germans... That was loud. Okay. I don't think I can hear anymore. That was a 30-minute timer. It was a valiant try, everyone. Let's see if we can get it done in another 10. I think we can. 10-minute timer going. Oh, boy, that was a voice crack. Things are going great here. I'm pushing the A. Um, so Germany, after Wilson says we need to have peace without victory and neutral rights, Germany says we're going to sink U.S. ships now, too, because um, they just want the British to be so scared that they will call the end of the war. But getting the United States involved doesn't seem like the best idea in the world for that. Um, Wilson cuts off diplomatic relationships, but he says, if you don't hurt us, we won't go to war with you. Um, on March 1st, 1917, the Zimmerman moat is leaked, which is a German secretary, bringing up the idea of potentially allying with Mexico. And Mexico gets Arizona and Texas and New Mexico back. Um, and then the Germans go and sink four unarmed American boats um, in March, U.S. refusing to fight back. And then finally, the Tsar of Russia um, falls. He runs out of power in the Bolshevik Revolution, and Russia is out of the war. And then suddenly the war becomes one for democracy. On April 2nd, Wilson gets a war declaration. Neutrality has failed. This, there's a myth that Wall Street's and arms makers were the ones that got the war to happen. Um, they like neutrality because it could technically sell to both sides. But eventually, this idea of killing innocent civilians um, was simply too much for the Americans to deal with. Uh, Wilson was neutral to the bone. Six senators, 50 congressmen vote against the war proclamation. Um, it's a war to be saved from subs that gets no one in the Midwest very interested because there are no subs in Lake Michigan. Woodrow Wilson then turns it into righteousness and democracy and religion and an ideological thing, therefore making himself the de facto moral leader of the Allies. Um, and also getting the Americans going, and, you know, people are all like, hang the Kaiser, blah, blah, blah. Um, Wilson, as his new moral ally leader, gives the 14 points address on January 8th, 1918, about Tareem's, Tareem's terms of surrender, um, which is sort of a play to maybe keep Russia involved, um, but also to uh, help minorities to give them some hope so there will be no more secret treaties, which caused the war, no more freedom of the seas, or yes to freedom of the seas. No nations can have economic barriers between each other. The armament tanks go down. Colonial claims will be changed, delegitimizing empire um, and opening the gate to independence for a lot of nations and minority independence. And the League of Nations, the crown jewel of it all, um, League of Nations, that is basically an international lament. Um, 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 um. Some allies that are more empire-y countries are less happy about this. Um, the U.S. is unprepared, unregulated, or not unregulated, untested, unorganized, uh, basically useless. They don't know how much seal and powder they can actually make. They don't think they can make that much. They don't want the government running the economy, so the government stays out of the economy, and things are bad. On March 18th, the War Industrial Board is established. Uh, the federal government gets involved in economic planning. Uh, at least in times of crisis, Herbert Hoover, the leader of the Food Administration, instead of setting up rations, um, lots of propaganda. So there's Meat Free Monday and Victory Gardens leading to more farm production and more exports. Um, alcohol production is restricted, uh, partially because beer is German, which is a precursor to the 18th, um, which is abolition. 
an abolition, um, prohibition. There we go. Um, the War Industries Board oversees production quotas, allocating raw materials, setting the prices for them to be purchased by the government. The government takes over the railroads, and to make things even more efficient, they establish daylight savings. In the middle of all this, women are taking men's old jobs. Uh, Alice Paul leads the Pacifist National Women's Party, um, but most women's are most women's most women are supporting the war by the National American Women's Suffrage Association. Uh, everyone's doing their part. Wilson finally endorses suffrage or allows it to happen. Uh, New York, Michigan, or maybe Missouri, Oregon, South Dakota do it first. The British, the Austrians, the Hungarians, and Germans follow. Uh, the 19th Amendment says that women can have the vote, uh, but the gains that they make in the war are gone shortly after it. Also, the Shep Tower Maternity Act of 1921 uh, is the federal government financing maternal and infant care on uh, maternal instruction, meaning the government has a responsibility for the welfare of women and kids, how the welfare state was afraid. Going back to the war. Initially, Americans were under the impression that they would really only need the Navy um, for the war. Um, by April and May, Europe reveals that they are out of men and money, so the U.S. has to raise its own army. It's very small. It's the 15th largest in the war. They need conscription, which passes Congress for the time being. And those men become the American Expeditionary Forces heading over to Europe. Um, Four million men and women are in the Navy. In the Marines, there are some African-Americans, but they're segregated to menial jobs. No one has any training. Um... Russia collapses, so the Bolsheviks withdraw from the war, so here come the first Americans, which are basically used as allied replacements in sort of quiet spots. Also, the Germans now focus all their efforts on the French, um, and they have the men to beat the French. Um, the Germans uh, go west uh, in the spring of 1918. The Allies unite under one guy, Falk, Foch, don't know. The Germans are only 40 miles away from the French. Finally, the first Americans show up, 30,000 of them at Chateau Terry. Um, they hold off the Germans. Um, the American, the AEF and Foch, Falk, um, have a counteroffensive at the Second Battle of the Marne. Germany is forced back to daggers at St. Mihiel, September 1918. U.S. gets a separate army under General Pershing. Uh, they have an 85-mile front. They run the, an offensive. About 1.2 million troops... Uh, 120,000, 520,000 Americans, 120,000 Americans die. Some Americans die. It's the point, not a lot. Um, Olympus is where Wilson is coming down from uh, in these uh, peace negotiations. He's saying there's really high expectations for them. He's this worldwide phenomenon. He's got the 14 points. Um, Germany basically offered to surrender. Uh, they're out of men. On 11-11, uh, they get rid of the Kaiser, and they say, let's have a treaty on the 14 points. And so Wilson comes down, uh, and he's a hero, and he gets a nice welcome in Paris. Um, the Republicans took Congress, so he has no legislative majority with which he can implement anything, making him de facto the weakest leader there. And he very quickly overstays his welcome. Um, also, there's this nasty rivalry with Henry Cabot Lodge, um, which – and Lodge is snubbed for the Conference of Paris, which makes things even worse. Um It's an idealist amid imperialist. So Wilson's this idealist with no real connection to the war and no real nothing really to gain, and all these imperialists that care about their land and their property. Um, it's Wilson sort of the whole thing's a process of Wilson slowly giving up demand after demand 
to acquiesce to the 14 point or the 14 point after 14 point to sort of acquiesce to each little thing so he can get the one thing he really really wants which is the league of nations so for instance the italians demand the fume Woodrow wilson wants the yugoslavians to have the italians get it um the italians get it yes um the uh, basically colonialism still lives so instead things are just being given to countries under supervision of the league of nations um france really wants the rhineland and the sar valley uh they get the rhineland the league of nations seeks the sar valley there's a vote in 15 years um eventually though a lot of these things come down and the treaty when it comes out is extremely um problematic for the germans who really don't get anything um they expected a 14 points treaty they got maybe four of them but Wilson gets his League of Nations, and now all he has to do is get it ratified. Um, isolationists like William Bora of Idaho and Hiram Johnson, California, become irreconcilables. irreconcilables. Um, they say it's not harsh enough. They say um, it doesn't give enough rights to the people that need them. Uh, they bring in specific people who bring up specific concerns for them. Um, most people still like it, and the idea is we're going to amend the Treaty of Versailles, that's what it becomes, not destroy it. Um, Lodge divides the country by delay. Wilson goes cross-country making speeches, makes this really passionate one in Colorado where he cries um, for the League of Nations and then has a stroke on the train back to the White House. Um, Lodge then takes over the fight uh, and he comes up with the 14 reservations, um, which is sort of 14 protections for the United States under the Monroe Doctrine. Um, these are amendments, I guess. Um, everyone wants the treaty, but Wilson basically says if you're a Democrat, you do not vote for this version of the treaty, and in 1920 it is rejected. Um, same thing happens again uh, in 1920. Maybe the first one was not in 1920, do not know. Um, and the treaty just does not keep just not happening. Um, they just can't get the two-thirds majority in the Senate needed, and Wilson and Lodge's petty disagreements and isolation and all that good stuff probably caused World War II, which is a fun, fun little timeline we're sitting on. Um, I just realized we're way past that 10-minute timer mark again, or we're about to be way past that 10-minute timer mark. Um, but they basically say we're going to settle this treaty in the 1920 election, i.e. a solemn referendum. The Republicans nominate the Harding-Coolidge ticket. The Democrats nominate Cox with the vice president of FDR. Harding um, does not campaign on the League of Nations, he instead campaigns on, campaigns on the women's vote and wins by 7 million and by about eh, 300-ish uh, electoral votes. Debs gets about a million votes. It's a election that proves the country is done with idealism, the League of Nations, and they just want normalcy. Um, League of Nations re rejection by the U.S. undercuts the entirety of the League of Nations entirely. Um, you can basically blame the United States for World War II in that sense because all this fails um and you can sort of see the direct line to hitler um and you know france comes up to the u.s and they say hey do you want to maybe um help us in case germany ever attacks france again uh and the u.s says no thanks so france starts rearming then germany starts rearming and you can see it from there um other things happening in this time period the kkk making a nice little resurgence um they're very ultra conservative and if you're not a WASP capitalist, they do not like you. It's a group. It's a club. It is fun. Um, they collapse after a while, but Congress investigates them, and they eventually say that lynching is legal and fine for the purpose of the Southern vote. Um, 
There were about 800,000 immigrants from South and Eastern Europe in 1920 to 1921. So the Emergency Quota Act is passed. That basically says only 3% of the people of the nativity already in the U.S. can come in every year, which favors the South and the East of Europe. But then the Immigration Act of 1924 lowers it to 2% and bases on the census of 1890, meaning that fewer Southern and Eastern Europeans can come in. So there are, and there are no Japanese allowed, which leads to riots and suicides. Latin, American, Latin Americans and Canadians can come in. Uh, by 1931, more people are leaving than coming in. This tradition of um, sort of unstopped immigration dies. Um, also, uh, but before you've had in the 1800s, 35 million people coming in from Europe, which means there's a societal disconnect with these ethnic Italian, Jewish, Polish communities. Um, there's no common language, which hurts labor and helps businesses exploit people. Um, and there are two ways to see this. One is we're going to turn all these people into just one big American race. And the other is America is a place where we can all work together and at the same time um, be safe together and be safe to have our own little pr practices and traditions. Um, prohibition, the progressives need it to survive. They get it by the 18th Amendment. They enforce it with the Volstead Act. Um, but it's very hard for federal, the federal government to ever enforce a law that is unpopular. Um, and it turns something that was kind of innocent into a crime so there's some bootleg, uh, very little enforcement. Um, the South and the West are happy about prohibition because it keeps black people sober and it ends saloons. Um, but in the East, where people are really into the tavern life, um, they're very annoyed. Uh, luckily, there are these speakeasies where people have high-content liquor um, and people violate drinking on large scale. If you're rich, it's much easier to drink in this time than it was if you were poor because you can get alcohol and drink it in private, whereas if you're poor, cheap beer is much harder to come by. Um, but people's savings go up, death rates go down, absenteeism goes down, relations with Canva also oddly take a hit because of the disconnect there. Um, Cars, the Model T makes its big debut, as well as baseball and movies and radio, but the Model T I thought was really... And Lindbergh and the plane, um, and the crossing of the Atlantic, and you have this new weapon and this new communication and blah, blah, blah. Um, but cars are, I think, the, the zenith of all of this. Um, they employ about 6 million people. There's also these little sub-industries of rubber and fabrics and infrastructure that all pay people, therefore increasing the standard of living. Petroleum, um, the strategy of the times, drill, baby, drill. Railroads are hit hard by buses and trucks. Um, perishable food cannot be marketed. Outlying farms are now connected with new roads paid for by the gas tax. Uh, cars turn into a necessity. There's this large network of roads. Everyone's getting their car via loans. If you have a car, you have freedom and equality, and women are less uh, isolated. And people can now live in the suburbs and come to the city. Um, also, people die in accidents. Um, road rage. People going fast. No one knows how to drive. Home life takes a hit. Uh, the youths, no one knows what they're doing in the back of that Model T, to quote the book. So that's exciting. Um... Sex O'Clock in America um, is one of the things this book says. Also, there's the Harlem Renaissance um, with your people like Langston Hughes um, and uh, other people that I do not recall the name of at the time because I don't have the card in front of me. It just says Harlem Renaissance. You also have modernism um, that is ending the genteel culture of the arts and reading at the time, namely Hemingway and... Um, the writer of Gatsby, F. Scott Fitzgerald, um, as well as people talking about um, sort of these non-traditional things like no more marriage, no more patriotism. So all of these very interesting things. Whew. All right. 
that was uh, not my best work, not my worst work. Um, that is a period, or at least half of it, if you can believe that. My God, right? Um, yeah, so it starts in Cuba, ends in Paris, really. Uh, starts with sort of the world coming to terms with being connected and ends with the world beginning to feel the consequences of it, feeling connected if you want to get very broad. And in the middle, you get a lot of progressive legislation from Wilson and Roosevelt and the antitrusts. That is the period. I wish you all the best of luck on the tests coming up tomorrow morning. This is going to go up. It's 11.01 p.m. right now. It takes about an hour to go up, so it should be up tomorrow morning. Um, at least by midnight tonight, if you really are desperate. This has been Pushing the A. Despite that technical glitch, Pushing the A is brought to you by Deferminator for when your dog is too fluffy for his own good. Weird ceiling lamp. Watch your head. Golden Retriever brand. Shoe treats. If only for the aesthetic. Apologies about the technical difficulties. We'll let the zombies play us out. This is pushing the A. Yeah.